And um, verse 1, then we'll get through verse 1 through 7, then we'll skip over to um, verses 39 and end in um, chapter 39, verses 8. Job, uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Job, Job is a book uh, where a man suffers greatly. And in this time when we are thinking about receiving joy, we have to ask the question, how do you receive joy in the midst of suffering? And this is the question that Job asks, and this is the question that Job, the book of Job, tries to answer for us. And so I invite you now to listen to God's word. It comes from, again, from Job, and you can find it on your new, um, Old Testament section on page 485. Listen for God's word. When the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, who is, who is this that darkness counsels by words without knowledge? Gird up your lions like a man, and I will question you, and you shall declare to me, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Can Now on for 39. Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens or lie in wait to the covert. Who provides for the raven its prey when his young ones cry to God and wander about for the lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Do you observe the, the calving of the deer? Can you number the mouse that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch to give birth to their offspring and are delivered of their young, their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go forth and do not return to them. Who has let the wild ass go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift ass to which I have given the steep from his home and the salt land for its dwelling place? It scorns the tumult of the city. It does not hear the shouts of the driver. It ranges the mountains as its pasture and it searches after every green thing. Friends, is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Never forget that everyone you meet sits by a pool of tears. And that's the recommendation that a South African pastor, Trevor Hudson, provides for those that visit his um, community. Never forget that everyone you meet sits by a pool of tears. A pool of tears is where we meet Job. In our scripture reading this morning, really the whole book of Job is a one big pool of tears. It's a long book. And none of us have to get far within the book to relate to the suffering that this book highlights. If we have not ourselves, we know someone close to us that has such suffering. Good people, we know. Innocent people, 
People who follow the rules, they dotted the I's and crossed all the T's, yet suffering comes our way. For some, the suffering made it difficult just to get out of bed. And for others, it's a struggle to see people that we knew, so we hid from them. While others, the weight of suffering and loss was so heavy, it felt like walking through a pool of tears. This book of Job wrestles with this type of suffering. It asks the question, why bad things must happen at all? And where is God amongst all of this suffering? And for the first 37 chapters of this book, God is nowhere to be found. Well, except for the very beginning, where Presbyterian chaplain Craig Coker describes God and Satan using uh, Job's situation like a fastball down the middle in a World Series game. The book of Job begins with us meeting Job, whom everyone agrees is an upright and a righteous man, a man with great integrity. He has a a large family, abundance of land, abundance of livestock. He has what everybody dreamt of. Satan comes to God and says, take away Job's farm, take away his health and his children. And I guarantee you, Job's faith will collapse like a house of cards. God fires back at Job. I'd say, not my faithful Job, no siree. And with that, this drama begins. If Job's life turns quickly, it's not pleasant at all and certainly not a game. Job loses his land. He loses his livestock. His children die. And sickness overtakes his entire body. In Job's world, this does not make sense at all. Bad things do not happen to good people. People and Job is one of the good ones. Job's friends, there's three of them, see his pain. They go to his house and they do what friends should do. They show up for Job. For an entire week before them, Job and his three friends sit there. They sit in complete silence. With all the pain and all the grief that they're feeling, no words said between them. Just sitting next to Job in his pool of tears. Nicholas Walterstroff, a Yale theological professor, endured great suffering in his life. About midway through, when his 25-year-old son, Eric, died tragically, unexpectedly. Writing about this suffering and people's response to it, he writes... Please, do not say it is really not so bad, because it is. Death is awful. It's demeaning. If you think your task is a comfort as to tell me, really, all things considered, it's not so bad, you do not sit with me in my grief, but place yourself off in a distance away from me over there, and over there you are no help to me. What I need to hear from you is, that you recognize how awful this pain is. Comfort me. You have to come close. Come sit beside me on my morning bench. For a whole week, one entire week, Job's friends did just that. They sat on the morning bench next to Job's pool of tears until until one of them spoke, 
breaking the silence, perhaps giving each friend permission to say what perhaps was in their mind that they've been holding back this entire week. It was not pretty at all when they began to speak. They demanded answers from Job. What did you do to make God mad, they said. How dare you question God's plan for you, Job. You must accept your fate, Job. Get on with life. Deal with it. Unsure of what to say amid the suffering and the pain, we've all been Job's friends. Struggled to find words. So we search for answers. We give advice like, well, Job, everything happens for a reason. God has a master plan. You see, it all makes sense. God must have needed an extra angel in heaven. I'm so happy he took your daughters. Because, like Job and his friends, we like easy answers. We live in a society that operates out of simple. Where obedience leads to blessings. Disobedience leads to punishment. We, we try to make our spiritual life clear and easy to understand, believing when not done right, things will go bad. But when done right, all will go well. And for the first two-thirds of the book of Job, that is what we get. Job's friends coming back and forth, offering advice to Job on why his life is so miserable, with Job having none of it at all. He rejects his suffering as God's payback. He rejects his suffering as some sin that he has no idea that he created or that the world is cruel and that he should just give up and end his life. Instead, Job gets real. Job complains. He he rails against God. He gets angry at God. He demands God for answers. One night, a a friend of mine who's a chaplain at MD Anderson, Kansas City in in Houston, received a call about 3.30 in the morning. There had been a death, and a family wanted to see him. Unfortunately, this was not abnormal. At MD Anderson... Cancer Center, there are over 650 inpatient beds. And on average, they see about 20,000 outpatients a week. While a lot of people walk out of those doors cancer-free, too many do not. On this particular night, my friend recalled, I entered that room to witness to a gut-wrenching sight. A mother saying goodbye to her daughter. A husband who just lost his wife. Three children who had just lost their mother. Why? That was the question. It's the only thing that came out of the room that night, just cries of of why, why. Over and over and over again, I just kept hearing the word why. Without any answers, I left there heartbroken. I was sad and I was hurt for that family, of course, but I was also furious with God. I've been in those situations in that room like that way too often for some reason. That night, it just all caught up to me, not ready to go to the next room or see anyone else. I went down to that chapel. I didn't even bother turning on the lights, and I sat there in one of those little pews, and I just let God have it. How could you let this happen, God? You created the world, and you called it good? You created us in your image, and only want the, the best of us. That's what you say, right, God? Look at this place, God. Look at this place. It is hell. This family does not deserve it. 
No families deserve this, God. All your people suffering. Look at what we've become. Do something. Why don't you do something about it, God? We've all been there. If you haven't, one day you will. This is where Job is, demanding God for answers. After all, they say Job was a righteous man. Job's image of God was that of, of love and, and peace, the God of justice, the God of joy. Instead of letting God go free, what Job does is a, it's a beautiful thing. He wrestles with God. He refuses to let go. Why, God, he keeps asking, why, God? Then in the 38th chapter, God finally speaks. Woody Allen captures the scene in response to God, of God in this way. And the Lord spoke, and his voice thundered. Must I have created heaven and earth? Explain my ways to thee. What hath thou created that thou dost dare question me? Perhaps, perhaps that's a good way of reading this passage. As Woody Allen would have us read it. As if God is putting Job into his place. Telling Job to, to stand down. You'd be a good little soldier now. Reminding Job that he is just a really small part of creation. And just because he suffered does not give him any right to question and criticize the creator God. Should we read God's response as if God is putting Job in Job's place? Maybe. Maybe. But what if we read it differently? What if we did not read this like some clumsy appeal to God's almighty wisdom? But instead, what if we just listened to the questions that God asks? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Or stretched the line upon it? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of those young lions? When they're crouchy in their dens, or lie await in their covert. Who provides for the raven his prey? When this young one cries to God and wander about for the lack of food. Do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Or observe the wandering wild deer? What if God isn't putting Job in his place? But instead, what if God is asking Job to Toward creation. What if in all these questions, 
God is inviting Job to walk with God. To come and see the world. See the depths, Job. See the depths that I took to create this world. And see all the care that I had for this world, every single living thing. For the care that I provide even that raven as it searches for its prey. When that young raven cries about wandering around looking for food. Even the raven God says, sits by a pool of tears. Perhaps the mystery is that God even listens to that raven. Did you notice that in God's answer? God says that young raven's cry is ultimately like a prayer. And God hears the raven's prayer. The ravens cry as a testimony to the passion and to the heart of God. Depicting God as a loving warden walking through the world caring for you and for me and all of creation. It's a beautiful image, really. And perhaps all the suffering in the world is the only way for us to love the world. It's to love God, to, to love each other, to love creation. It's to let go and to hold on to that image. An image of a God walking beside a wandering deer. Hunting with a hungry lion. Lying beside a proud mother goat crying with the baby raven and swimming in a pool of tears with all who suffer. You may recall we left my friend in a dark chapel about 3.30 in the morning, angry at God, fists still balled up, jaws still clenched, and my friend recalls, I paused without even thinking about it, really, I looked up. And I looked up and I saw it. If it had always been there, but me not noticing it. A wooden cross. The very back of the room, hanging there. Nothing spectacular at all about it. It did not shout back at me. It no booming voice from heaven. It was just there. Despite of its silence or or maybe because of its silence. That humble little wooden cross pointed me back to the book that laid in my lap, that book that I was getting ready to haul and throw just a few minutes earlier. A book that goes from Genesis to Revelation, telling us the story of God's unrelenting love for God's people held together by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is God's promise to me and to you. That all things are held together. That there will come a day 
When everything we made will be made new. When weeping and crying will be no more. When God will wipe every single tear away. As we spend a few weeks in the stewardship season reflecting on receiving joy. Maybe joy is not always confetti or parties or unicorns or rainbows. Maybe in the midst of suffering, joy is observing a nurse changing the bedpan. Or watching a granddaughter comb the hair of her grandmother who no longer knows her name. Or laughing and crying with that widower who tries to figure out that chore their spouse did for so many years. Maybe joy is watching trucks of food get to the starving. Or reunions with the lost, or being loved so much that a friend doesn't mind sitting with you in the silence. Perhaps joy is a church family refusing to let that grieving mother go. So whether she replies back or not, they still send texts and cards and phone calls, soaking wet in her pool of tears. The more I think about joy and suffering, the more I'm convinced that if we are to witness this joy, we can't do it alone. There is no muscling through it. I don't think we're capable of sitting there in that pool of tears long enough. Not without help. In our solution-filled world, we try to find a solution that will fix the problem. That's what Job's friends teach us. No. We can't earn joy. We can't make it up. All we can do is receive it which means we just can't stop asking the question, why God? Seeking our answers from the one who cares enough even to hear a raven's prayer, who knows firsthand all the suffering in this world. For on the night before Jesus suffered and died, his own violent death, Jesus went to a quiet place. And there in the midst of all his fear and grief, Jesus wept. A pool of tears. On Easter morning, God drank that pool to his dregs. And in the resurrection of his son, God will transform our tears of sadness into rivers of peace and beauty and joy. That's a promise that we can trust. 
above all else, among all the suffering of the world. This is a promise that we can trust. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.